Welcome to the Book Bat Podcast, where we help you navigate and explore the world of Christian fantasy books. I'm your co-host, Carlissa J. And I'm the other co-host, Jason. So, Jason, why are we doing a series called Mature Content, and what do we mean by that? Reason number one, clickbait, baby. It's all about <laughs> them clicks. <laughs> okay, but being a little more serious than that... One thing that struck me when I've heard, you know, more critiques on different stories, whether movies, TV shows, or even novels, one thing that tends to get praised a lot or knocked is its mature content or lack thereof. And I don't know, I just started thinking, hold on, what about Christian fantasy? Do we actually, well, I lost my train of thought here. Help me out here. What does it mean to have mature content in Christian fantasy, and do we want it? Yeah, that's a good way of summing it up. See? There you go. See, you should have been talking instead of me. Why'd you let me talk? I wanted you to explain. You were the one who came up with the title. I can come up with clickbait titles very easily. (laughs) (laughs) You come up with something that can be misconstrued, usually in a very borderline dark way, and then boom, (laughs) clickbait. So um, I've started writing a very rough draft for Christian Fantasy 101. Mostly I've just written and rewritten the introduction a couple times. And amidst miles upon miles of research. Yeah. Miles. A lot of research to sort through for what's supposed to be a small book anyway. Really? I thought it was supposed to be a full-blown novel size. Oh, no. I, I just want this to be a small introduction that'll help people, you know, get started in reading more fantasy. I want it to be more of a starting point for getting people more familiar with the genre and some of its greatest authors so that they can begin or go deeper into their own fantasy reading adventure. Anyway, so for our conversation on mature content, uh, I wanted to talk a bit about spiritual maturity in Christian fantasy. So to start off for that, I thought I'd read a section from the book's introduction. That you are writing. That I'm writing. This is still a rough draft. (laughs) Prone to change. Prone to change, yes. What do Christians have to gain from reading stories about mythical beasts and otherworldly journeys? Why not stick to stories based in real-life scenarios? The biblical book of Revelation, with its complex symbolism and vivid imagery, has long inspired controversy amongst Christ followers. Some have wondered whether a book with such veiled meaning, which throughout history has created various sects that obsess over its interpretation, should even be in the Bible. In popular Christian books, Revelation is often assumed to be primarily about explaining how the world ends. Does that mean people living a thousand years ago had little to gain from reading it? Multiple biblical scholars argue that Revelation's core goal is to train your imagination, to give you a new perspective on the world. At its best, fantasy has a similar goal. When commenting on The Lord of the Rings, C.S. Lewis stated that the value of the myth is that it takes all the things we know and restores them to the rich significance which has which has been hidden by the veil of familiarity. So he continued, We do not retreat from reality, we rediscover it. Classic Christian fantasy books were often written with the goal of leading the reader to spiritual contemplation. C.S. Lewis's Till We Have Faces wrestles with the nature of divinity and our limited understanding of God. George MacDonald's Lilith plays with the links between the nature of spiritual growth, death, and metamorphosis. And J.R.R. Tolkien's Middle Earth is filled with stories of pride and humility, friendship and hate, wisdom and foolishness. Teresa of Avila once used the life of a silkworm as a symbol for spiritual growth. As the silkworm consumes leaves and wraps itself in silk, we must eat good teaching and abide in Christ. 
Books that do not merely inspire us, but challenge us and give us food for thought, can both strengthen our minds and lead us into deeper communion with Jesus. So, what Jason and I are going to do in this podcast series is explore the concepts of maturity, mature content, spiritual maturity. Uh, He's come up with some ideas for discussing how we use the term maturity and also just whether or not it has a place in Christian fantasy as it currently stands. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to, at some point, explore some of the spiritual roots of the fantasy genre and how understanding them may help us grow as we read fantasy as Christians. Yeah, because one thing about that that really has spurred on this whole mature content and maturity is it's something that as followers of Christ, we are supposed to be becoming more and more mature in our faith. The Bible uses that kind of imagery of, you know, growing up and being weaned off spiritual milk and onto solid foods. And I kind of wonder if, well, not wonder, I've become more and more convinced that in at least a lot of the main Christian fantasy that has been pushed at us, it is usually devoid of a lot of this kind of mature content. And what I mean by mature is, you know, difficult scenarios, difficult questions, things of an almost more philosophical type nature that can't just have a simple one sentence answer that wraps everything up in a nice tidy bow. And Carlos just read for her book's introduction, or at least its rough introduction, she mentioned, um, how in Tolkien's Middle Earth works, one of the overriding themes of it is pride and the, quite frankly, the devastating impact that pride has on how we react to things and how it often clouds our judgment. Yes, it sometimes makes us stubborn to the point where we attempt foolish things that, if they succeed, makes us turn out to be heroes. But at the same time, pride can also make us do incredibly foolish things that... That cause disaster and harm for other people. Not just ourselves. Mm -hmm. Okay, like that was one thing that stood out to me in the... Like, I've only made it partway through Lilith. But one thing that stood out to me while I've been reading it is that it's not a book that I can just blaze through and get the gist of it. I I just can't. There's too much in there. And part of that, yeah, is the writing style and the fact that it's written in a style that modern writers don't write in, so I'm not familiar with it. So I can't just absorb it as easily. But the other thing is, is even in the first bit that I've read, it's already begun to tackle some more difficult questions about different things, like the nature of reality and the protagonist's place in it. And the book doesn't offer a clear-cut answer, at least not right away. And based on what you've said about it, Carlissa, I doubt it's ever going to offer that straightforward, (laughs) clear-cut answer that we seem to expect these books to give us. Yeah, one of the really compelling, fascinating things about Till We Have Faces, which is arguably... C.S. Lewis's greater greatest novel. A lot of C.S. Lewis fans will argue that, but it's like not his much, most popular. Yeah, it's like pretty much nobody has read it. I didn't even know it was a thing until doing research. Is it working from the perspective of the characters are pagans who grow up in a society where there's multiple gods and stuff? So it's about in some way getting in touch with that uh, is implied with the real god, but it's through the eyes of these people who don't have experience with monotheism or all the information that we would have about a trinity and about Jesus and stuff like that. So 
all their reachings for God are mixed in with their very limited understanding. And I think we like to have we like to have all these answers and say you know all these facts about God and stuff like that. Whereas until we have faces plays with the very deep reality of there's a lot of things about God that we're probably just assuming because of our own cultural background and stuff. A lot of things we don't know because of our limits as humans. It's a very intelligent book, but it's not the type of conversation we regularly have at church or anything. Well, and what you were talking about was more like a a form of, or at least I would think, a form of spiritual maturity. And there's other types of maturity that I don't think Christian fantasy deals with very well for various reasons we'll get into in a later podcast, one of which is mental health or really difficult situations where the blunt honesty of it is, is that if we were presented with these kind of situations, there wouldn't be a clear-cut right thing to do. You know, these would be the types of things that if we took them to our pastor or spiritual mentor or whatever, most often they would probably say something to the effect of, you need to pray and wrestle with this and probably won't tell you that, oh, there's a clear-cut right thing to do. This is it. And I kind of wonder if we expect our Christian fantasy to provide that kind of clear cut. This is right. This is wrong. You know, this is what you should do in these situations, period. Yeah. There's a degree to which the nature of fantasy is that it is wrestling with big topics of good versus evil, uh, where it is about the war of good versus evil kind of thing. But yeah. I still think there's room for admitting when things are difficult. Well, and even admitting when there isn't a right answer, per se. Like This kind of relates to spiritual maturity and just regular maturity, period. As I've grown up, I've learned there are fewer and fewer things that are actually black and white, where it's a definitive, you always have to do this. There's almost always some sort of stipulation of, you do this, but if this circumstance pops up, maybe the answer to the question changes. Like, well, I can think of one example in the Bible off the top of my head. In the book of Exodus, the Pharaoh, in an attempt to keep the population of the Israelites under control, the Pharaoh of Egypt, what does he do? He tells the Egyptian midwives to, if the baby comes out and it's a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, okay, it's fine. And the midwives ignore this order from Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh asks them, hey, what the heck? Why are all these sons being born? Why aren't you doing your job and killing them when they pop out? They lie. They tell Pharaoh a bald-faced lie. And us Christians tend to hold very tightly to the biblical command of, you know, thou shalt not lie. So by that understanding, God should have smited the Egyptian midwives for doing that. But what did he do? He actually blessed them and gave them children of their own. Because what they did was for the protection and well-being of others. Well, I'm just saying, sweetie, mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. that involves a bit more of a nuance to the question of, you know, is it ever okay to tell a lie or whatever? I've been in circles where, and I've bought into the whole belief of the answer is always definitively no, you never, ever, ever tell a lie. There is never any circumstance where telling a lie is okay. Yeah, the Bible Bible itself kind of gets rid of a lot of our simplicities, like the story of Judah and Tamar that we tend to pretend doesn't exist. That's because it's icky, among (laughs) other things. (laughs) 
Or one thing that always stood out to me was I was under the impression, you know, we teach as Christians, you don't do witchcraft because it doesn't work. Uh, but then you have the story of the witch in First Samuel. In First Samuel, I think yeah, it is. In yeah, First Samuel, the witch of Endor. Where she actually does bring back somebody from the dead. And Samuel's kind of ticked off about it. Yeah, and he's not impressed. (laughs) (laughs) Not because it didn't work. He's ticked off because it worked. (laughs) Yeah, so it's not about utility of we don't do witchcraft because it doesn't really work. It's trust. Are we trusting God or are we breaking God's order in order to get what we want? This episode was and is more or less an elongated teaser about what we hope to explore in the next at least few episodes, maybe more. We'll see how long this goes. We haven't gotten it written out exactly how long this is going to be. Yeah, I still have to write a lot of my notes for the exploring different things in fantasy. I have ideas, but I have to write notes about them. You never have a shortage of ideas on anything. Like seriously, I asked her to write a sermon. For me, I gave her a few notes on what I thought the subject could be about. Two days later, she had five pages worth of notes. And I was kind of like, Okay, well, so much for me coming up with anything. We'll just use this stuff. Like, what the heck? (laughs) All right, so that's it for this podcast. Um, Be sure to check us out at www.book-bat.com. Yeah, and be sure to like and review this podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or on the website. And yeah, you can follow Carlissa on Facebook. Well, it's primarily Carlissa who's on Facebook. I I should have gotten rid of my account by now. Yay! (laughs) And it will be under Book Bat. I don't know if the dash is in there or not. Yeah, I'm it, sure it is, yeah. Okay, cool. They can just look for the logo. The logo's cute. <laughs> it's a cute little bat reading a book. Yes, in cheapy style. <laughs> so cute. Be sure to share this with people, maybe. You know, leave a rating for it on Apple Podcasts if that's where you're getting it, because it will help other people find it. And yeah, we'll see you next time as we discuss more mature content. Bye. Bye.